get your Bibles out, we're going to read out of 1 Peter, and we're going to start in chapter 2, and I'll read you some verses, and then we'll jump over to chapter 4, I'll read a couple more, and then we'll trust the Lord to speak to us. 1 Peter chapter 2, after I read this, then I'll pray and we'll jump in. It says this in verse 1, Therefore... Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, church, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house if you have a pen you can underline that phrase you're being built Jesus is building you into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood you can underline that word offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ skip down to verse 9 but you Emmaus road are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, you're different, you're weird, you're, the world doesn't understand you. As aliens and strangers in the world, I urge you to abstain from your sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near, dear people. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Above all, says Peter. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he or she should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he or she should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come together today in faith, trusting that you're going to speak to us. We believe that your word is quick and powerful and it's alive and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And your word pierces to divide soul from spirit and joint from marrow. Your word divides what's true from what's a lie. Your word divides up the good and the bad. We trust today that you're more interested in speaking to us than we are in hearing from you. And because that's true, because you are the good shepherd, you're going to lead us into green pastures and beside quiet waters. You are going to restore our souls and put us back together. So Spirit of the living God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come before you today as your people saying, speak to us. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. 
Peter comes out right away and says, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. He's using plural language here. He's using covenantal communal language here. He's, he's evoking in their minds these Jews who are scattered all over the world. He's saying to them, remember what I did in the very beginning to, to establish you as my people, Israel. I plucked you up out of nowhere. I, I called Father Abraham, who ended up having many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I called him, and I chose him, and I told him, hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing, and through all of your seed... The whole world is going to be blessed. I'm going to send you all over the world. You just think you're little Abram and Sarai, but I'm going to make you Abraham, the father of many nations, and Sarah, the mother of many nations. And through your line, I'm going to tell my story to the world. Through your line, I'm going to grab Eden back that was lost in Genesis chapter 3. Through your line, I'm going to establish my kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. You are a chosen generation, says Peter. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. There is not any singular language in what Peter uses here. He uses plural language. A royal priesthood, what's going on here, Will? In Exodus chapter 20, the chapter before we get the Ten Commandments, what does God say to Moses when Moses goes on top of the mountain? He's about to come down with tablets. The story is about to change for Israel. What does he say to him in the cloud of glory? He says... For I will make for myself a kingdom of priests. Moses goes, what? Because Israel had just had a high priest. Israel was used to sending up one representative to God so that God could mediate his word through the man. The man would come down and tell the people what to do and how to live and what God is saying. But God says before he gives them the tablets, just so you know, the end of this story ends up in a kingdom of priests and priestesses. Not just one. All of my people will be my people. All of my people will hear my voice. All of my people will feed on my word. All of my people will come before me. The veil is going to tear, and everyone is going to be able to come through and hear my voice and represent me to the world. Moses, just before we get started with this whole law thing, the end of this is going to end up in a kingdom where every single one of my people is a priest or a priestess. Peter wants us to hear this. He's jogging this in our memory you are a chosen generation remember what god said in exodus 19 you are a royal priesthood you are a holy nation he's talking to people who are scattered all over the world little groups of 30 little groups of 62 and 75 in in asia and bithynia and pontus and cappadocia have you ever been there no you haven't little backwoods places he's talking to them writing in this letter that's going to get passed around hey just remember, you're going to be dominated by the empire. You're going to feel like the little guy or the little gal forgotten by God. But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are how God is going to tell his story to the world. You see, God has always intended to bring together a people to get his purposes accomplished in the earth. I think there's a difficulty, though, for many of us today living in the world that we live in. We live in a very individualized world. We Westerners, thank God we've been so blessed and God's been so generous to us and we've just ended up in a situation that has worked well for us. By the, I, we didn't do anything to accomplish this. We just were born where we were born. And we have the option to, to pretend that sort of 
uh, connections are enough without deep communion. Just as long as we have enough connections, as long as we have enough followers, as long as we have the right phone, phone numbers to, to contact people, we'll be okay without deep communion. Peter says, no, that won't work. You are a people. You're a priesthood. You're a nation. He's using covenantal language. We also live in a world where skepticism has become a virtue. Skepticism. Now listen, discernment is a virtue. Discernment is a spiritual gift. And we ought to have discernment, but skepticism is very different than discernment. We live in a world where skepticism has become a virtue. All those all those politicians out there who are out to get us, all those religious institutions that are out to get us, all of those marketers, you know, studies show that all of us see at least 1,500 images of marketing a day where we're being told to buy something. And subconsciously, what that does in us is that makes us become on the defensive. We have to keep everyone at bay. We're trying to be sold something. And that gets deep in our bones, and so we become skeptical, and we become individualized, and we, if we're not safe, if we're not careful, we will be tempted to become an individualized people. But God says, that's not going to work. That's not what I intended. From the very beginning, I looked at Adam, and what did I say? It's not good that man should be alone. This isn't going to work. I have to spread this out. I have to make the story more complete. I have to fill this out. Adam and Eve have children. And God, after Genesis 3, what does he do? He creates a people, Israel. I'm going to tell my story through a people. And so we receive this letter today from Peter. And Peter wants us to know that God has always intended to tell his story to the world through people like us. You see, the church, we are the ones that administer God's grace in its various forms. We just read this. I can't believe that God decided to do it like this because God could just sprinkle some fairy dust on us from the heavens and do, God can do whatever God wants to do, but God, through Peter, says God has chosen us to administer his grace to the world in its various forms. So whatever your gift is, if it's hospitality or generosity or speaking or serving or making meals or whatever your gift is, do it as if God is trying to tell his story to the world through you because he is. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, if any person be in Christ, they're new creations and the old is gone and the new is coming. And what does he go on to say? God is making his appeal through us. You see, the church of God is the way God gets his work accomplished in the world. You see, an interesting fact to think about it's worth pondering is Jesus never wrote anything. That doesn't make sense to me. If, if you're God incarnate coming into the world to change the story from sin and slavery into freedom and to newness of life, you've got to write something. Put it down on paper. Come among us and just like spell it out. Be really literal because you can give it to your 12 and your 12 will distribute that, but you write it, God, because it's not safe for someone else to write the story. What did Jesus give us? He didn't give us anything in writing. He gave us his spirit and he gave us a people. Jesus apparently saw fit that Peter and James and John, these blokes, is that what you would call them, blokes? These blokes were enough. And the twelve and, and Lydia and, and Mary and Elizabeth and, and Miriam all the way back to the Old Testament. Moses and Miriam, God decided that a people would be able to tell his story to us. We have received 
an inheritance from Jesus through his people. It's interesting that Jesus never wrote anything. We ought to pay attention to that fact because essentially he's trying to say to us, you have to stay together. You have to trust one another. You have to trust what Peter and James and John are going to pass on to you was actually from me. You're going to have to trust that my spirit is going to be able to communicate to you and, and bring this story to you. We find ourselves in a place of trust. What did Jesus teach us? Hey, Master, there's something unique about you. We see you healing people. We see you going around. You're announcing this kingdom. You went away into the hot wilderness and you didn't eat for 40 days or drink anything for 40 days. Something is up about you. We can tell that you're different. Would you teach us to pray? Because when you pray, something happens. There's power in your words. He taught them as one that had authority, teaching them the scriptures. They were, he was different than the Pharisees and the religious teachers, the scribes. There's something about Jesus. Teach us to pray. What does he say? Okay. Here's how you pray. Our Father. He didn't teach us. Here's how you pray. Go in your room alone and just say, My Father who art in heaven. He taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. There are no first person singulars in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespassed against us. Jesus taught us to pray by teaching us to pray as a family. One of the things he said in that prayer is you should pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. You see, the question we have to ask today is why did we get up on a Sunday morning, it's freezing cold and rainy in England. What are we doing here? Is this just some social norm or something that we just should do or some box that we should check? Is this to ease our conscience? Is this because our parents or our grandparents did it? Why are we here? We're here because Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven, and the only way that happens is through the church. You see, let me tell you some stories. There's a guy in our church from Kenya. I live in Colorado, by the way. That's in the United States. So he came from Kenya to the United States. He immigrated with his whole family, four little kids, beautiful family. His name is Barack, Barack Okal. And Barack has his PhD in computer science. He's a genius. He's, he's brilliant. He makes me look stupid. Barack, good man faithful man, working at Compassion International as one of their head IT guys. And because of some little loophole in, in the United States policy, immigration policy, his wife started going to school to get her master's. He's got his doctorate. She's working on her master's. And when she enrolled for school, the, the U.S. Uh, agency contacted him and said, it's not, it's not legal for you to now have a job because of this technicality. Your wife started going to school. You have to quit your job. Compassion International, they, the, the U.S. government said, you have to fire Barack. Well, he's our best guy. You have to fire him. So Barack is in the United States of America with four kids, gainfully employed, and in one day, because his wife decides to get her master's, and because of a technicality, he's unemployed. He walks into Starbucks the next week, and I said, hey, Barack, what's going on? He said, well, it's kind of been tough lately. I said, tell me about that. He said, well, last week I just got unexpectedly fired and Compassion looked at me in the eyes and they said, we didn't want to fire you, but the U.S. government says until you go through this paperwork for four months and all this, you can't have your job back, but it's waiting for you. Hurry back because 
So Barack doesn't know how to pay his bills. Because of the church, I was able to go over to my bag and pull out a checkbook and say, don't worry about it. Here's your mortgage for a month. We started telling some friends and they said, oh, really that happened? Don't worry about it. Here's your mortgage for the second month. They, another family heard about it. And for five months, he, he was only unemployed for four months. For five months, he got his mortgage paid. And people started bringing over bags and bags of food. And Barack and his wife Ruth and their four children didn't skip a beat. They didn't miss anything. Why? Because the church is the group of people that pulls God's glorious future into the inglorious present. Lord God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And if out here in the future, God, you're going to restore all things and make all things right so that there's no weeping and no sorrow and no mourning and no grief and no disenfranchisement. If that's where this story is going and if we are the church right now, we pray on earth, Lord, as it is in heaven, here you go, Barack and Ruth. You have all that you need because there is a church that exists. Susie Phillips, Bart and Susie Phillips with their sons Gabe, Luke, and Nate live seven doors down from me. The most precious people you will ever meet. 41 years old, Bart and Susie and their boys at the time. Eight, six, four. We had circled on the calendar Sunday night we would have dinner with Bart and Susie. Because these are our people. They go to our church. They're our neighbors. Seven doors down. We love these boys. I'm teaching their boys drum lessons. So it's Thursday night. We go to bed. We're going to have dinner Sunday night. Thursday night at midnight, I get a call from Susie. I missed the call because I was asleep. The next morning, I wake up at 5, and I had a voicemail from Susie, and she says, Daniel, could you get to the hospital? I called her. By that time, it was too late. Bart was in the shower on Thursday night. At 11 o'clock, he, he put his boys down. He and Susie were talking. He said, I'm going to go get in the shower to get ready for bed. He gets in the shower, has a brain aneurysm, and dies in the shower. Eight, six, and four. His boys have to come pull him out of the bathtub to try to rescue him with mama. Bart is dead. We started talking. I, Susie said, you'll do the service, and I did the service a couple days later. And we went on a journey of watching the church come around Susie and Gabe and Luke and Nate. She was driving a, a, a difficult car and she, all of a sudden her husband who made good money was gone. She was unemployed. She was taking care of her boys. It was working that way, but then her husband's gone. And so what did the church do? We bought her a, a nice car for her and the boys because you're going to need a car. We got her together with financial planner to sort her, uh, sort her estate out. We got her. Four years later, I just had dinner with Susie and her brand new husband and, and her three boys and his boy. He lost his wife four years ago from cancer as a 40-year-old. And somehow God brought these two together and the church surrounded them in these four years. And we said, we will not let you flounder. You will not be unwell because the church of God exists. We pray on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have our marching orders for right now. When you, we find yourself in the worst day, Susie, you will be okay. Gabe and Luke and Nate, you look me in the eyes. I told them this at the funeral. I, they were sitting right here and I said, you guys will be okay because the church of God will come around you. We will not leave you, boys. I promise you. Susie, I make you this promise. Because the church exists, you will be okay. Here we are four years later and it's working. The kingdom is coming the will of God is being done on earth as it is in heaven through the church. 
Karen Pacheco and her boys. She's a single mother. She has twin boys who are 18 years old. Karen immigrated illegally from South America to the United States because her life was so terrible. She figured out how to cross the border. Wouldn't you do it too? I would do it to save my two little twin boys. She got into the United States. She works as a house cleaner. We, and Karen came in and, and I got to know her really well and we prayed together and she told me her story. And I found out that she had this little car and the tires, I went out and the tires were absolutely bald. It was dangerous. We live in Colorado where there's snow and she's sliding around all over the place just because it's what she can, it's what she can do. That's all she has. And so I went back and I told the church every year at Christmas time we do a give uh, a campaign where we, we, we secretly find a couple needs and we decide to meet them. So I told my friends about Karen and I said, Karen's got the, her tires are bald and she's barely paying her mortgage every month. Let's, let's take care of her. So I went and told the congregation. Karen didn't know. And the congregation gave. And I was able to come to Karen quietly and tell her, hey Karen, we heard about you. My friends at the church heard about you. And we called your apartment complex this year and, and we said, don't worry about it. You don't have a mortgage for the next year. And we just put new tires on your car and, and we got a, a, a mechanic in the church who's volunteered to fix your car. Because the church exists, people like Karen and Matthew and Daniel can be okay because we are the on earth as it is in heaven community. Why do we come here this morning? We came here this morning because we believe God tells his story to the world through a people like us. And we go from here strengthened and empowered into our jobs wherever we are in Bramley or Godalming, Godalming, and, and London and, and, and Bath and, uh, and Eastbourne and all these places. We come here because we believe God is strengthening us and sending us back into our cities and into our neighborhoods and into our jobs and into our schools to bring the kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God that he might show the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. One more story before we go. I heard of a little boy. He was five years old. And he was born, he was born uh, kind of unexpectedly. His parents were in, his early for, in their early 40s. And they didn't like each other. The parents fought. And so they didn't want to have kids because they weren't going to stay married. Their marriage was in shambles and they just beat each other up. But all of a sudden one day they find out in their early 40s they're pregnant with their one and only child. So, okay. They go to the hospital, have this boy. As a five-year-old boy, his parents were in their late 40s now, 47, 48. As a five-year-old boy, three, four times a night at dinner, he'd find himself being a referee during a fight. They'd have an argument, they would turn the table over, they would use their knives and forks as, as, as weapons, they would throw hot coffee on each other and burn each other with hot irons. It was nasty, and this five-year-old boy found himself as a referee saying, can't we just work this out, please? Imagine your five-year-old having to do that. And this is the way that boy lived. He went to bed every night and he cried himself to sleep. He said, God, would you just give me a happy family? Oh, I want. I want a happy family one day. One day when this boy was nine, he walked to church. His parents never went to church, but he said, I'm going to walk to church. So he walked two miles to church, to Second and Sheridan in Tulsa, Oklahoma, into this little church, Sheridan Assembly. And can you imagine going to a church just by yourself as a nine-year-old, showing up, no one knows you. 
You're just going to try this thing out. And the worship leader one day saw this little boy walking through the church and he went up to him and he said, hey, what are you doing here? What's your name? I'm, I'm Davey. Okay, Davey, are you, are you here with family? No, I'm here by myself. Oh, come sit with us. Come sit right down here. Me and my wife, LaVon, we'll take care of you. Just come sit with us every Sunday. And so this little Davey walked to church every Sunday and sat right by Vep and LaVon right here. Vep was leading worship, and, and this boy Davey became really great friends with Vep. It became kind of his mentor. So he said, hey, come to church practice, uh, band practice on Thursday night. And he started teaching Davey how to, how to do music and lead worship. And Davey started playing guitar and all this, and... They started picking, up, picking him up at his house. This beautiful story of this nine-year-old boy not knowing anyone coming to the church. And one night, someone stood up at the end of the service and talked about the work that Jesus did. You know that we live in a fallen world and you know that God decided to come near and He came near in His Son, Jesus Christ, who would end up taking all of the sin and the shame and the guilt and the evil of the world in his own body on the cross and going down into the grave. And on the third day, he rose again, defeating death by death. He kicked death in the teeth and said, that's the end of the story. And newness of life is the way forward. And little Davy heard that. And he said, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, just come down front. So Davy walked down. He said, I'd like to serve Jesus. I'd like Jesus to be the Lord. I'd like Jesus to rewrite my story because... If you only knew my story back at home. Little Davy is my dad. That was 50 years ago. And he went and gave his heart to the Lord. My dad, as a nine-year-old, his life was changed. He became a part of this church family. His parents never came to church, but every Sunday he was there. As a 15-year-old, he got a call from his dad. He, he worked in the oil fields in Oklahoma, and he said... Davy, I'm going to be late tonight. Tell your mom. He didn't like his mom still. They still fought. Tell your mom that I'll be home late. I'm going to miss dinner. Okay, Dad, love you. A couple hours later, there was a knock on the door. It was a police officer. He said, would you please sit down? Your dad was killed tonight in an oil explosion. Fifteen years old, my dad is without a dad. His mom, it's just him and his mom. At 19, my dad was a sophomore in college. His mom started feeling uh, sick and it wasn't working right. They took her to the hospital and they said, you have a brain tumor and you got weeks to live. As a sophomore in college, my dad's mom died and he's a 19-year-old all by himself. Except he had the church. And he had Vep and LaVon and he had Frank Reeder. And all these different people who were his family already, they took him in. They said, we are the community within which God's kingdom gets established on earth as it is in heaven. So David, we are so sorry about your dad and we are so sorry about your mom. There's nothing we could do to make that easy, but we are here. Vep hired my dad as a 19-year-old 10 years later to be the worship pastor at that church. Vep became the senior pastor. Vep officiated my parents' wedding five years later. Vep is a 76-year-old man, and he still calls me. I say, Daniel, how you doing? I'm praying for you. I love you. You see, I am someone who is here today because the church of God exists. I am the result of, of a little boy who grew up in a community who took their role as the church seriously, that if you come in this place, you will not be missed. You will not be lost. We will take care of you. When you got people, 250 people coming together in the same room, watching and paying attention and being prayerful and, and hearing words from Psalm 121 about what's going on, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. 
The Lord will keep you from all harm. The Lord will watch over your life and your coming and your going both now and forevermore. You know how the Lord watched over my dad's life? Through the church. And this is what the church of God is. The church of God is the people through whom God gets God's work done on the earth. And what if it's true here in Guildford? What if it's true that God has chosen you and plucked you up out of darkness into his marvelous light? To come together on Sundays and to love each other and to pray for each other and to worship and to hear the scriptures and take it seriously. And then Monday through Saturday you live your lives watching for the people that the Lord is sending your way so that his kingdom might come on the earth as it is in heaven. You see, the church is a colony of heaven in a country of death. Church is this little pocket of glory in the world of darkness and shame and sin. But as the church prays, Father, we pray with a rope in our hand, pulling that great future into the present. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Bring what's going to happen out there right here and right now. I know it won't be fully, fully completed until that day, but, but you asked us to pray. You taught us to pray. These are the words you put in our mouths, and we, the church, pray, Father, let it come right now on the earth as it is in heaven. Would you close your, your eyes and bow your head and quiet yourself before the Lord as we come together today? I want to ask you, what if it's true that God intends to administer His grace in all of its various forms to the church? What if it's true that God intends for the church to take care of the orphans and the widows and not the government primarily? What if it's true that this is the community within which Jesus opens people's eyes. You see, you're called Emmaus Road Church. What happened on the road to Emmaus? These two guys were walking and Jesus was with them. They didn't know who it was. And Jesus was going to keep going. And some, something in them said, there's something different about this guy. Why don't you stay with us for the night? Come in here and eat with us. And scripture says that as they were eating, Jesus broke the bread and he started teaching them the scriptures and their eyes we're open. What if it's true that Jesus opens people's eyes around a dinner table? What if we, the church, lived as if we're supposed to bring people in our homes, bring people around our tables, break bread with them, show hospitality, administer God's grace in its various forms? What if we are the people through whom God saves people? Father, today we're here. We've heard your word. For whatever reason, you've chosen to make us chosen generation. You've chosen to make us priests, royal priests, priests of the king. You've given us authority. You've told us to do your work. We hear you today. You've made us a holy nation. You've given us a constitution. You've given us a word through your people. And so today, Lord, we pray that we would take up that mantle, to take up that call, to take it seriously, to make our lives about being the people through whom the kingdom of God comes. The will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray for all my brothers and sisters today, whom I love so dearly. I don't even know you, but I love you. 
God, I pray that you would bless these folks and keep them. And make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon them and grant them peace. And Lord, I pray you would make them so attractive to people who are lost in sin and shame and darkness. To little boys like my dad who are wandering around, wondering how their story is ever going to change. And then they bump into these people. They're brought into the church. They're brought into a community of love. They're brought into a community that lives the end of the story right now in the present. And as they see that, they'd be called into the life of Jesus Christ. They'd be called into the body of Christ, the church. So Lord, I pray you would make these folks infectious with your kindness, with your generosity, and with your hospitality. I pray that you would bless them and may everything they put their hands to prosper. And Lord, I pray that I'd be able to come back 10 years from now and see this place full of people who've been called out of darkness and into marvelous light because they bumped into one of these people here today. Lord, I pray blessing over every single person and over every single family and over every single little baby here today. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven through this people called Emmaus Road Church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.